Welcome to Questioning Your Answers podcast, where we explore beauty and transform our narratives. Welcome back to our part two of our conversation with Jeff Turner. And um, it ended on such a high note, Jeff, in terms of where this conversation can go. We we spoke about and you shared about how literally your belief in God was crucified. Um, and I just wanted to kind of introduce or, or let you speak further about what this means in terms of the path forward for you of this way of being, because we know the message of Jesus was not just to embrace another belief system, but it went totally against the current culture um, and was was such a strong message of a way of life opposed to just another belief system. And what does that mean to you in terms of this this God of the way? Yeah. Well, I guess what I would say about that is, is, is the one thing, the key characteristic of the God I, quote, once knew is that he was very distant and he, he was, we'll say, the, the idealized version of myself. Everything that I wished I was but clearly was not, as evidenced by behaviors, that's who that God was to me. And, mm. you, you know, Feuerbach had the idea that we project our ideal selves out of us and and project it onto this kind of cosmic movie screen and those become our deities and whether or not that's a perfect you know uh, representation of how gods came to be it's at least part of it that that we push our ideal selves outward and we project them into the heavens and these become in a way our gods something to strive for yes. now having something to strive for isn't necessarily a bad thing. But the thing is, we're trying to create saviors for ourselves because we want there to be someone out there who is what we desire to be or who has what we desire to have. And 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 so these gods were intended to give us that ideal to shoot for, or perhaps if we made the right sacrifices to them or worshiped them in the right way, they would um, give us a little bit of what is theirs, you know? And so, mm-hmm. but what we, what we create to be our saviors end up becoming our, our Satans. They become our accusers because they then loom over us in perfection and they become detached from us to the point where we forget this is our ideal self pushed outward. And so they they yeah. torment us from above with their perfection and constantly remind us of what we are not. And so yeah. that is the God who lives behind the thickly woven veil of the temple, who when Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the temple veil is torn. That's the God who is revealed to never be there. That God can only forsake you because that God does not exist. And it's at that moment or or in a moment soon thereafter that Jesus looks to the father who does not dwell behind temple veils but is right there being crucified with him and says father into your hands i commend my spirit so for me the crucifixion of that god was his exposure as not being there and the resurrection came when I really began to realize the reality of Christ within. And Paul, I think, had the same experience. The Son, he said, was revealed in him. And the Son is revealed in him 
when he has his eyes open. Uh, we often say he was blinded on the road, but I like to say he had his eyes open because he actually was blind. And so when his eyes were opened, he saw things as he had actually always seen them. He just didn't realize that was how he saw them. Yeah. And so he has his eyes open and he realizes that he's blind. And so that's kind of the crucifixion of his God concept. It's it's done there. When he realized, see, he's told, he's told, you know, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Well, he thought he was persecuting for God. He didn't know he was persecuting God. So at that moment, yeah. his God ceased to exist and he's plunged mm. into darkness and he has, for all suits and purposes, no eyes. And so then for three days, He's in a house in a street called Straight, so he can get his crooked stuff <laughs> uh, straightened out. Or, for, you know, or you can equate that to him being in Arabia, uh, whatever. But he goes through this process of darkness where mm. eyes are being developed in him to see. And the evolutionary process of the development of the eye is that is that light sensitive cells in the bodies of aquatic creatures were drawn to the top of their head because that was where they were nearest the sunlight. And so eventually these light sensitive cells form something like clusters there because they're reaching for the light and eventually they become eyes. And so Paul is plunged into darkness, the death of his God, but there in that darkness, the quote unquote light sensitive cells within him, Christ in him is drawn up and drawn out um, until he has his eyes open when he encounters grace in, in the form of of Ananias and he, and he can see, picture. you know. <clears throat> yeah. Love that picture, and, Jeff. And that, that kind of process where you are able to lose the God that you thought was God, mm -hmm. we often naturally avoid it because, yes. you know, any kind of doubt, any kind of question is seen as uh, evil as bad. Mm -hmm. But it's for me beautiful how God began this process by giving you a message of his unconditional love. Mm. And yeah. it's really when we when we comfortable and we find our security in love and not in being right. Mm -hmm. You know, very often yeah. we we think that we secure because we right. But but actually, we can only move forward when we find this deeper sense of security that I am loved, whether I'm right or wrong, I'm still yeah. loved. And it is in that space that, like Jesus, we can say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. As we go through this process where all the ideas, all the beliefs that we had about God, about ourselves, about our relationships – we can entrust it to God. And in that sense, doubt becomes a most honest process. It's actually the process by which we, uh, where doubt and faith works together here because doubt is starting to break down the artificial boundaries that we've created, the, the yeah. constructs and the concepts that we've set in place. It starts breaking it down and and faith begins to reach forward to possibilities that we haven't seen while we were comfortably sitting within the walls of our own logic mm -hmm. and our own answers. So one thing that I just want to encourage um, 
everybody with today is that, of course, there are doubts, you know, if I doubt whether I can do something or I doubt my own abilities or I doubt that God loves me, there's doubts that can be distractive. Mm -hmm. But the kind of doubt that begins to expand your ability to embrace new possibilities, I would call that divine doubt. That that is in a way God himself whispering to you and saying, I'm making room for myself Mm -hmm. and your ideas about me have been too small. If you want to experience me in a new way, I've got to gently help you take away these ideas Mm -hmm. that have kept you from knowing me as I truly am. Isn't it beautiful? It's often in that unconscious place, like Jeff, you spoke about the dreams initially, that it's that unconscious place of that whisper Mm. um, that draws us out of our very confined and narrow way of thinking. Yes, yes. And just brings us into this wide place. Yeah. So so I, I just wanted to encourage the listeners, as you know, the process can be described as, you know, a crucifixion. Mm. <laughs> it mm-hmm. might not look that pleasant. Um, or, you know, I'm sure Paul wasn't too thrilled to discover the God in whose name he was committing violence was no God at all. Mm. But at the same time, no matter how difficult the process is, there's an honesty and the substance to Mm -hmm. it that you cannot attain if you just continue in the same rhetoric that you've been in before. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, no, totally. And, and, you know, I think to, to be alive is to be alive the way that God is alive and the way that God is alive is through resurrection. I mean, the resurrection occurs in time for us, but where there is no time, the resurrection has always defined who God is. And so mm-hmm. the very life yeah. of God is that which has come back from the dead. Like that is how that is the way that God wow. is alive. And if we are to ever be Beautiful. truly alive, we partake of that same process of life. And, you know, I know in gray Mm -hmm. circles, we don't like to talk about the death and crucifixion thing a lot because it can trigger memories of old bits of theology, but I'm not talking in those terms, but I think to be truly alive and and to really, to really know what it is to be alive, you, you have to undergo something approximating a crucifixion experience and it'll look different for everybody. But until that thing that dominates your life and your, your, your thoughts, um, until that's gone, you will never discover the thing that's always been there. And it's like, I always liken it unto a haiku. Like a haiku is, is an Eastern form of, of poetry. It's three lines consisting of five, seven and five syllables traditionally. And more emotion can be communicated in a haiku than some people can communicate in an entire novel. And I think our spiritual, you know, we have all of this baggage, all of these gods, all of these God concepts, and it's like we have a word document and it's so crammed with words that the haiku that exists somewhere in that cluster of of consonants and vowels is lost. And so the crucifixion Mm -hmm. 
process is God highlighting and deleting all but that which you know he he intends to bring forth and then the empty page the mostly empty page will put a pressure on what is there so that its meaning actually comes forth but when the page is so crammed that meaning never even gets a chance to come forth in in jewish mysticism there's the idea of simsam which says that at the creation um the, the the problem of creation was that how can God, whose infinite light, create anything that's finite without it instantly being consumed by his infinity. And so the idea, and even if you just take this as a philosophical you know, thought exercise, is that God puts a kind of limitation on his presence so that it doesn't overwhelm that which he creates. And so that which he creates can actually come forth and be created. So God creates a space within God's self where his presence doesn't um, tamp down and, 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 and yeah, our potential so that it can actually come forth and we can be who we're supposed to be. So it's like a helicopter parent, you know, sometimes being present as a parent actually means backing off a little bit. And sometimes Mm. that's how you're present. You know, it's not, it's not an abandonment. It's an act of presence. You know, you have to take a step back so that what's in your child can come forth and be. And I think, you know, we can see this in Jesus' words. It's better for you that I go away, because if I if I don't go away, you'll never experience the reality of the the comfort or dwelling within you. And so there's there's something in us that's original, but we have these idols outside of us that keep us from seeing that, and we're so distracted by all the other words in the word document that we don't see the beauty of the haiku that's hidden in those words. So the crucifixion process is the deletion of all that we have created in our mythology so that a mm. pressure can be placed on, or put on the, you know God in us Christ in us that's why Paul for 3 days he's in darkness and there's pressure being put on Christ in him to come forth and his words are God revealed his son in me and it was because of the deletion it was because of the the darkness and the blindness that he was able to see that and that was able to come forth and um yeah. you know we th- I and I guess that's the biggest thing for me, especially right now. It's really over these years has God was always external. God was always this somewhat menacing and malevolent force outside of me, reminding me of what I'm not. And now I realize that Christ is an inward reality, and not only an inward reality in me, but in you and in everybody, whether they know it or not. And you know, my job, if anything, is to help people delete some of the extra words. <laughs> that are keeping them from seeing the truth of their being, you know? And um, yeah. sometimes and that's how... How uh, encouraging yeah. is that? Because yeah. I, I love that idea that, that he creates space within himself mm. yeah. in order for us to experience the reality of our freedom. Yeah. Uh, freedom to not be overwhelmed with a presence that so enforces a specific design or a mm-hmm. specific will that we can never discover the freedom that we've been given, the gift of being yeah. co-creators with our God. And so I think yeah. this can be a tremendous encouragement to people to realize that it, when we go through times where it seems like there's a silence mm-hmm. or there's an absence or there's a 
way in which I might have experienced God in the past that I am no longer able to experience him, that might be an invitation Mm -hmm. from your source, from your Abba, to discover that there, to discover his presence in new ways, in enriching ways. That might be an invitation to say there's so much more Mm -hmm. about you and about us, about our union and our intertwining that I want to open your eyes to. And part of this process is that you go through the darkness to see the light, is that you go through the death to, to mm-hmm. discover this resurrection life. That it's, and it's not even sequential. Very often it, is, it happens in parallel. Yeah. It's the very experience of dying to that old way or, or thinking or, or being that is the very birth of a new awareness and the new consciousness of a God that is actually closer mm-hmm. and more intertwined with me than what I've ever imagined. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that was absolutely my experience. And, um, you know, how do I say this? Um, <laughs> Becoming an atheist was the best thing that ever happened to my Christianity. <laughs> and um, it, it, it just so was because, you know, I'll, my my youth in my early 20s, it's just riddled with experiences and encounters of a mystical nature with God. And, and the God that existed outside of me that I saw as being the source of of those experiences, like those experiences only serve to prop up that God's existence. And so mm-hmm. even these beautiful things that I experienced were in a way terrifying because they confirmed the existence of this thing that I'm serving because I'm afraid of what happens if I don't, you know, yeah. I'm serving because I fear the repercussions of not serving it. And, 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 you know, so when I went through this process, even of, of losing that old image of God, I lost a lot of that as well. You know, I lost a lot of the, 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 what would have on their own been good things, but because they served to reinforce the existence of the certain image of God became, uh, bad things, <laughs> you know, um, it, when I lost that God, I lost all of that as well. And so for a while, like I said, I really was left with what I thought was a completely blank document. I I thought there was nothing Mm. left. I I thought maybe like the eyeless creature that there's nothing here, but there's light sensitive cells, you know, still within me. And there's, there's a haiku hidden somewhere in, in the mostly blank space. And, and that Mm. is what in that moment is having this pressure put on it. That's, that's coming forth. And the meaning is gradually, um, I'm coming forth and presenting itself to me. And, you know, after this long process of whatever, if someone might want to call it a dark night of the soul, whatever verbiage we use, something very real began to emerge within me. And it was, it was the reality of Christ in me. And I want to say this for those who have maybe undergone or underwent an experience like this, or maybe who are in the process of it right now, or who maybe are down the road and are going to need to know this. It's like, I pitched all of my history overboard because I thought, it only served to reinforce the existence of this God. But once that God image was gone, and I mean, it was really gone. It doesn't bother me anymore. It's, it's, it's like, it may as well be Thor or anyone else in my mind. It's, I, I don't take it seriously. It's gone now. Um, mm. All of a sudden, 
my history was redeemed as well. And all these things that I thought re- were just in my mind and I was just making them up or, you know, that's what I told myself in the atheistic process because I didn't want it to be real anymore. But once that God was gone, I actually was able to look back and was like, no, see, the God who is, is the God who's always been with me. The God who is, is the God who's always been within. So I was experiencing the reality of this God before knowing who this God was and losing the God who I thought was, it doesn't just like find me in the moment I'm in and redeem my now and therefore give me a redeemed future. It reaches all the way back into my history and into my timeline and redeems the whole of my life because now I can see that, no, these things were genuine. These things were real. It's just that (laughs) I was serving an idol. I was serving a false God. And so like your whole history, past, present, and future comes together. And at least that was my experience. And, wow. you know, I think so many times when we go through like a dark night of the soul or whatever, we're like, we got to pitch, you know, the first half of our life overboard or whatever it is, you know, all this stuff, everything that happened when we believed this way, we just got to leave it behind. But no, 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 it's all part. And I think, you know, there's yes. um, um, in uh, actually, oddly enough, in The Great Divorce, the book, which I have because I was trying to hide my atheism. Um <laughs> In The Great Divorce, um, George MacDonald is, well, C.S. Lewis has George MacDonald um, giving, you know, the subject of the story kind of a tour of, of heaven and hell, you know, whatever. It's, it's a book. You'd have to read it. But um, one of the observations made in, this, in the book is that those who are in, you know, quote unquote hell eventually come to see their entire lives as having been hell. And those who are in, quote unquote, heaven end up looking back and seeing their whole lives as being um, uh, one of like a heavenly experience. So he's like, you know, heaven and hell, the older they get, the more reflective they get. And so they look back and if someone's in a, if someone's in like a place of hell, they look back and even the good times in their lives, they see as hellish. But if someone's in quote unquote heaven, they look back and end up seeing even the hellish parts of their lives as being heavenly. And so in that sense, he explains the eternality of, of both because it stretches back eventually into the timeline and redeems it. And, you know, yeah, I guess, I you know, you love know, it. Yeah. Redeeming yeah. your past even, because I think a lot of people will be sitting with that, the same experience or, or going through this kind of process and really wanting to see what is it going to look like on the other side of this? And, and <laughs> yeah. you almost have to go through the process of losing hope completely. Yeah. Um, before yep. you can have any hope, but that—that that what you've highlighted there, mm. you know, that redemption of of even those past experiences of drawing out the meaning, and yes. and yep. that's really also our hearts in doing these the series is to show how this kind of process of questioning those very hard pressed ideas and answers that we have can draw out, draw us into new meaning. And um, I wondered if you could just, because I know you started the whole whole podcast, um, our first part, with just your experience and how, you know, such a a law-abiding, you were really invested in your faith and that all unraveled. What does it look to you in terms of your relationships now with your family, with your, to just give us a last thought on, on that and how, how you see others in the light of this beautiful redeeming message? Yeah. You know, um, 
the amazing thing is that now every person that I am in relationship with has become an extension of my relationship with God. Whereas before they were hindrances, they were external potential contaminants, they were um, distractions from, and now it's an extension. It's an emanation of that. And it's, it's all part of my relationship with God. Now I'll never forget jogging one night. It was like nine or 10 at night. And this was years ago. And I was listening to some music, uh, worship music as I'm jogging and praying in tongues or doing something, whatever, you know, really spiritual. And um, <laughs> my, my wife called me. And so my phone goes off, it interrupts whatever crummy worship music it was, I was probably listening to. And um, I see that it's her calling me. And I consciously declined the call and keep running because I'm like, no, I'm, I, this is my time with God right now. Your spiritual and this moment. Is, Exactly. And this is a distraction from that. And I, I ran maybe, I don't know, a few more steps and it felt like I ran into a brick wall and I just stopped and I heard from within me, if you don't rid your life of the idea of distractions, you're going to destroy everything you love. And Uh. I realized that I had this, you know, and basically what unfolded from there was that there's no distractions in your life. There's just opportunities to commune with me mm-hmm. differently in different ways that I'm emanating through the fiber optic cable that is that person or that person, you know, and 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 that's really guided my life and experience of God from then on is that if Christ is in all and Christ defines all, then all is an extension of my relationship with him. So whether I'm in prayer or in quiet meditation, which I still do daily as much as I can. But even when I can't, spending time with my children, spending time with my wife, even if we do nothing but just goof off and watch cartoons or play video games, that is me interfacing with the divine because Christ is present there. And and there's no separation. There's no this is my spiritual life. This is my, you know, non-spiritual life anymore. That just, I don't, that concept just doesn't even register to me anymore. Like it just doesn't even, it doesn't register. I can't, I don't even think about it. There are days, I mean, I, I have a meditation practice in the morning or I quiet myself and, and whatever, but you know, if I go a day where I don't do that or I don't get to do that, I don't, it's not like I miss it. Love you know, it. it's like, oh, I didn't pray today or I didn't whatever, because everything Love has it, just, Jeff. yeah, become an extension of it. So. I don't know. Uh, guys, it looks like we we've um, so enjoyed our conversation as in the you know with the first time as well, and I know there's going to be many more. Thank you so much for your for your time, and um, I know that this is a blessing to many people who are listening, mm-hmm. and you probably know of friends who would really benefit and really be encouraged by this message. Why not share it with them? If you haven't subscribed yet, subscribe. Um, but yes, let's spread a bit of good news, yes. a bit of encouragement. And we look forward to another conversation. Jeff, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Jeff. Oh, thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today and please don't forget to subscribe on our website qyourapodcast.com.